Good to see you all here. We're all doing well and uh, hopefully feeling refreshed. A day of Sabbath today. And uh, this morning we're continuing in the, the book of Romans. And hopefully you've been encouraged by this book like I have. Are we holding up okay? Because the book's pretty heavy, let's be honest here. Like It's a pretty intense uh, book, and this morning is uh, really turning a little bit of a, a corner in Paul's writing, and hopefully you go away each uh, week in the same way I leave my study, just with a lot of aha moments. This morning is similar in that. Well, first section of Romans we've looked at in chapters 1 through 5 has really been primarily focusing on salvation. The good news, the fact that we're dead to the penalty of sin. If you remember the illustration of the judge coming down and actually taking on our punishment, it's a beautiful reality, and that is so much about our position in Christ. But, but here, Paul starts to turn a corner in chapter 6 through 8, talking about sanctification. I know that's a churchy word, but the idea is this, is that we're dead to also, not just to the consequences of sin or penalty of sin, but we're also dead to the power of sin in our lives. No longer because of God's grace are we underneath Satan's thumb doing what he demands. We're now set free from that. But we'll see this morning that there's a choice involved in all of this. So Paul's going to explain what the choice is. He's going to explain how the choice works and even some cautions about the choice that we have now that we are, in fact, set free. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for how practical your word is and how critical it is that there's a foundation and understanding of salvation, that we've been set free, that you've done the work, you've paid the penalty. It's critical to understand that before we can move to what it looks like to walk with you in newness of life. I pray that you teach us through this morning's text, that you stretch our understanding, that we'd be able to put some of the, the chaos and stress from our week actually on the shelf and actually engage with your word this morning. May even that reality sink in, the fact that you wrote to us a love letter. God, I pray that you'd speak this morning through chapter 6 of Romans. In Jesus Christ's name, name I pray. Amen. If you wouldn't mind turning there with me, it's so much easier to talk about this when we're all looking at the same thing together. Chapter 6, we're going to be working through the first 14 verses this morning. Starting in verse one, or two, 1 and 2, we see the first point that he makes about our choice is that we must stop abusing grace. Look what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Stop there for a moment. You might remember even earlier in Romans, in chapter 3, he brought up this same exact question in verse 8 of chapter 3. Why not do evil that good may come? You know, it's, it seems like a, a valid question. It's a, he, he left the topic back then, but he's revisiting now. It's a, it's a fair question, I believe. The question is, if sin amplifies grace, if it puts the, the spotlight on God's grace, like, why not sin with complete abandon why not sin with complete abandon let's be all let's be honest here i think each one of us has wrestled through that question like why not like if he's done all of the work why not just bask in grace well paul points out here clearly 
This is probably some criticism that he's had to his whole teaching of grace. Is just like, man, that's going to lead to some bad things. Once people know that they're free from this, man, there's going to there's be a, a revolt. And he points out, look at his response with an exclamation mark. By no means, by no means. There's an outrage of that anybody could even think of this. It's inconceivable. But the truth is today, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us use grace as if it is a license to sin, as if, okay, well, it's taken care of, so I've got the green light to do whatever I so choose. We love to sing songs about forgiveness and being washed clean, but when someone actually confronts us about patterns of sin in our life, when someone actually points out the fact that there's inconsistency between our actions and the parameters of God's Word, we don't really like to hear that part. We like the grace piece. That's the attractive piece. So unfortunately, like the prodigal son, one can abuse grace and squander their inheritance. Like the prodigal son, one can abuse grace and squander their inheritance. But don't worry. God says, no, 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 no. I'm not mocked in this. It doesn't work like that. In fact, Galatians 6, 7, he points out, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, and we talked about this this summer, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That will he also reap. And that's a reality of God's response to sin. Yes, you can squander it, but so many Christians, I would propose today, carnal Christians, that are not experiencing the life that God intended for us to experience because they're reaping the consequences of abuse of grace. They're, they're wondering, why am I not experiencing the, the, this? All I read about in Scripture, the truth is broken relationships, depression, discontentment, lack of purpose are all reaping the consequences of abuse of grace. What Paul points out, he points out a rhetorical question in the verse 2. He says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer. Those words live in it caught my attention. I started thinking about like housing and situations there. My, my wife and I have dealt with uh, rental situations for a lot, of, a, a lot of years. And live in it is thinking about what if you get stuck with a really bad landlord. I don't know if anybody here that's uh, been a renter before has had a really rough landlord, maybe one that keeps moving up the prices, maybe one that doesn't get back to you when something needs repaired. I don't know what it is, but take that a, a step further. Imagine if you had a landlord that actually set up traps in your house. Traps that you're like, oh, I turned this, this sink and it, it shocked me. And I, I sat on the toilet seat and I got cut. You know, like he, he, started, he started creating traps to actually damage you. Like how, how quickly would you be like, I'm out of here, right? You're like, I am out of here. I am not putting up with this any longer. I am done. And, and, and so is the, this picture that Paul is painting. Now imagine, imagine if you move in and you set up new residence. You're like, Oh, finally, I'm out of the crazy landlord with all the traps. You know, I'm out of there. I've moved out. I'm in this new home. It's awesome. It's way less expensive, free, in fact. And, and all of a sudden, you hear what? You hear the ding-dong on the door. You open the door, and you're like, oh, I don't know that anybody knows I live here. And, and there standing is your previous landlord. 
It's like, come on, man, why, why, don't, you, why don't you move back in? It, it's going to be way better this time. It's going to be a lot nicer. I've, done some, I've gotten rid of the traps. I've, do, I've done some rehab. I'm going to reduce your rent. You'd be like, no, I know what you're up to. Like, I'm not falling for that. I'm not going to live in that any longer. And here's the point that Paul's making. He's, he's pointing out, he's like, it doesn't make sense. You've been set free from it. How could you go back to it? He explains how this whole process works in verse 3. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, through the glory of the Father, we too may, have, uh, may, may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. He noticed that he uses to, to explain things, he uses the illustration of baptism. And baptism, we know and we've defined it even clearly here in the church, is an outward expression of an inward decision. So something that's showing the choice that we've made to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. So he's using that to teach the spiritual reality of a believer's union with Christ. When we accepted Christ as our Savior, there was a union that was created if he became our representative, if you remember last week. There's a union that is created in baptism that's like none other. We're inextricably connected. There's so much so, what does he say in this section, so much so, that what's, actually, what, that's what's true about Jesus is actually true about us as well. That's a crazy reality. That's a, a fascinating truth that there's such a degree of a unity that what happened to him, we have that experience as well. And what does it say, the different points that he points to, both his death and his resurrection? As Chad alluded to, there's a certain bond between somebody in the, the military. If you notice that, they're, man, these guys that have served tours together, that have been through the war, there's some kind of a bond that comes from having faced death and made it through on the other side. Have you noticed that with somebody you know in the military? Man, there's this, this tight-knit, tight-knit connection. Well, here, he takes it even a step further. Not only did you experience the threat of death, you actually experienced death with him the fascinating side of the coming out on the other side is this this idea that there's no such thing as a christian who hasn't died think about that for a second there's no such thing as a christian that hasn't died you see you can't have a resurrection without a death baptism therefore is a joyful funeral service really if you think about it baptism is a joyful funeral service I was reading this week about a, a group of, of soldiers that were a part of Desert Storm, and some of them, while they were there, came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And as they dug into Scripture, they realized the next natural outflow of that is to proclaim it to those around them through baptism. So they started asking the, the, the chaplain there, like, well, where do we get baptized? There's no rivers, there's no lakes, what do we do? Started exploring around and seeing, well, what, do we have, what resources do we have to work with? All they had on this particular base it was telling, the story was telling about, all they had was an excess of coffins. I was like, well, that's kind of dark. But they had this creative idea. They said, well, if we, if we line them in plastic, then we can fill them with water, and we can use a coffin to, to baptize these soldiers. 
I was thinking about this picture of uh, all these tough soldiers in there and getting, getting dunked in the, in the coffin and, and pulled back out. What a, what a beautiful, powerful picture of what baptism is. What we're celebrating, they're celebrating the fact that the old me died. The old me died. That's what the text points to. And, and sometimes, then, then it points to the fact that there's then, after that, there's a new life. I think there's a little bit of confusion about this, I believe, in, in Christian circles. A lot of times people think, okay, the old me died, and you kind of blow that idea off, but you think of this new life, and you're like, all right, there's this, there's this new life, so there's kind of two dual existences happening, the men in black, the men in white, you know, you got both sides, you remember Tom and Jerry with the angel on one side, the demon on the other, the old self cohabitating with the new self. You see this as a, as, a, as a tug of war, but here we see in this text and elsewhere in Scripture that, no, that's not how it works. Literally, the old self died. The old self died. That's, a, that's a, a critical understanding for us in our victory over sin in our life. We have to understand that the old self died. The old is gone. The new has come. Are you tracking with me so far? Old gone, new has come. Now, some of you hear that news, and you're just like, well, that sounds real nice, Pastor, but that's not been my experience. Maybe something didn't take with me because I keep on sinning, right? I keep on sinning. I keep falling back into the same traps. I keep going back to the same old stuff. It doesn't seem like there's really a new me at all. But here's the explanation, is what we see throughout the rest of Romans, we're going to see it unpacked quite a bit, is whereas the old me died and there's a new me, the new me is stuck living in this old body of flesh. Stuck living in this old body of flesh, and this old body of flesh is programmed to sin all the way from birth. Like we're a program, we're, we're, we're a sin machine. And so this new, new self's trying to take up residence in the, in the old body, but this old body is programmed for sin. You have a brain that's easily enticed. You have impulses that have directed your behavior for years and years. The new birth in Christ brings death to the sinful self, but it does not bring death to the temporal flesh and its corrupted inclinations. Tracking with me? It's idea. So you're, you're stuck in this sin body. You're, it, it's, it's really, if you think about it, in the life of, of a believer, the flesh is our last battlefront, right? It's our last battlefront. We, when we are, we're battling this deal all the way to the moment we die. It's not new, new self battling old self. It's the new self trying to figure out how to live in this broken, messed up flesh. It's a battle. It's a constant battle. You see it, how often do you see it in your own experience where you're like, your behavior just like, that, that's not, my, my mind wants to do this, but man, why am I doing this? Like there's an inconsistency. You see that, that tug of war of trying to exist in the new flesh. I'll share an example of mine from the past week. So Friday afternoons uh, are, are, have a tendency to be pretty high stress as we're trying to finish printing the bulletin, make sure you have the notes. Oh yeah, discussion questions. Oh, and you, you've got all of these things all trying to come together. 
And in the late afternoon is kind of when it's like crunch time on Fridays in church world. We actually do work on days other than Sunday. And, uh, and so, so it's kind of crunch time, right, Chad? Wouldn't you agree? And, and so th- this week on crunch time, Adrian comes into my office real sweet as she always is. And she's like, hey, Scott, I've got this email that I'm sending out. Do you mind taking a, a couple minutes and, and just editing that email for me before I send it out? Just giving a quick read through, make sure I'm not saying something crazy. I'm like, Adrian, do you not know we've got this to do, this to do? I'm teaching on grace, on, on the new person, the new self, and how we're not to be led by the flesh anymore. I'm explaining this to her, and then there's that aha moment. I'm like, man, I'm like, man, this is, this is, this is the flesh playing itself. I would do, this is the woman I love for a lifetime. I would do anything for her, and I won't even take five minutes to read an email? Like, how jacked up is that? Like, it's because it is. And, 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 and here's the thing. It's because it's the new me trying to exist in the old flesh. It's a battlefront. So how does this all work? So in essence, the sanctification process is bringing our actions in line with a new person you've become. Bringing our actions in line with a new person you've become. Take a look at verse 6. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It's an awesome truth. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Remember that union. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful section of Scripture, this picture of the, the idea of why would you go back to the old thing? You've been set free. A number of years back, I had a, a bad MRI experience. I'm, I'm just so confused by modern technology, how they can make something so small and expect you to stay in it so long. Anybody else confused on this? I actually realized that I have a little bit of claustrophobia. Like, anybody else deal with that a little bit? The idea of being in a small space for a long period of time, these guys that go, like, plunking or whatever through caves and, like, all these, uh, you're like, uh-uh, you can get me in one of those spaces. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, this, this, this fear was played out in a movie a number of years back. You might even remember it. I don't even remember what it was called. But this guy was actually stuck in a coffin. The whole movie is based about him being trapped six feet under in this coffin. I was like, that's my worst possible fear. The whole thing is like, oh, the, the time is running out. He's going to lose oxygen. And then, oh, a snake got in there. And like all this craziness. But, but, but here's, the, here's the, the idea. Imagine if that guy gets out of the coffin, what you'd have to do to convince him, hey, look at this coffin right here. I dare you to climb in it. Uh-uh! Like, are you serious? Like, it would be so crazy. Why don't you get in and shut the lid? We'll tap a nail on top. It'll be fun. Can you imagine trying to convince this guy after that experience, that traumatic... He didn't actually live in the movie. But, uh, but, but I ruined it for some. But, uh, but, but, but here, imagine trying to convince the guy 
to get back in the coffin. That's what Paul's basically saying here. He's saying, you've been set free from it. Why would you stay inside of it? Why wouldn't you climb out? That doesn't make any sense. You're set free from sin. Not just the penalty of sin, but you're free, listen to this, you're free not to sin now. Now all of a sudden, it's a choice. It no longer defines you. All of a sudden, you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to go back to it. Before, we didn't really even have a choice. Now we do. Now we have to see sin for what it actually is. And here's the thing. The longer you walk with Christ, the more you start to see, and maybe some of the older folks can give an amen to this, you start to see sin for the lie that it is. Start to see the sin for the lie that it is. Like it makes all these big promises. It's going to do this. It's going to feel great. This is going to be awesome. This is, gonna, this is the peace you've been missing in your life. And what do you do? You partake. And what do you find out? Oh, it lied to me again. Like what happens in normal life when somebody lies to you? After somebody lies to you once, you're like, I'm not getting sucked into that again. That guy's a liar. That's a liar. Why don't we do the same thing with sin? Why do we keep believing it? Why do we keep going back when it never, ever keeps its promises? Why? Like, why is it? I had the opportunity yesterday. It was kind of fun. A friend from the, the church through his business had been given a couple tickets to the Clippers game and brought Adrian and I to the, uh, the game with us. And th- these weren't just any tickets. These were like, the. have you ever done the skybox thing where you're sitting in there, you got the full meal provided, like it was like, it was like top of the line, it was pretty, pretty fun, and they had, a, we're, we're eating the whole time, enjoying the game, and watching the Clippers, I don't even care about the Clippers, but it's still fun to be there, and uh, go, go Bulls, uh, but anyway, so, so we're there watching, watching the game, and, uh, and enjoying lots of food, and I'm just stuffed, but by, at the, by the, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, this is what they do, maybe you've experienced this, you hear the, the door knock and the, the little sweet thing, and they come up, and they've got this, what they call the dessert cart. Have you ever seen this before? So this cart's like this huge, and it has on different tiers, like every display of decadent treat possible to mankind. And I'm there staring at this thing, and I'm like, man, I sure did eat a lot already, but uh, man, does that look good. But then here's the thing that always sucks me in, the good old-fashioned chocolate chip cookie. I have a real hard time saying no to chocolate chip cookies. And let me explain to you, to some of you, that's no big deal. But here's what I've developed in my uh, 30s and now into my 40s is an allergy to milk and to eggs. Well, guess what's in a chocolate chip cookie? Both milk and lots of eggs. And so every time Adrian sees me going for it, she shakes her head. She's like, why do you do this? Why do you do this? There I was. Not only did I take the chocolate chip cookie, which was like the size of my face, and uh, not, not, not only did I take the chocolate, I, you could maybe have a couple bites of it. No, I ate the whole thing, man. I hate the whole thing. I know that every time I do it, get a headache, get a stomachache. I know it. I've, I've done the drill before. Isn't that the same thing with sin? You know the drill. You've done it before. You've eaten it. You've been there. It's not your first cookie. Like, you, you've, you, you've tried it many and many of times. You've partook, and it's not just a little nibble. It's the whole thing. Why is it? Why, why do we keep going back? Why do we keep going back to, to, the, to the same thing? For us, 
I joke with cookies, but a lot of us, if we're honest, we're like, man, I have that same sin, same thing I just keep going back to. It's a, it's a pattern. It's a habit in my life. It's a routine. Why do we keep going back to when we have the choice? I had a friend pass on a book to me this week. It was called Birthright by David Needham. He tells of a familiar life situation, home alone, watching TV, and a new program comes on. It only takes a moment to realize it isn't a show a Christian should be watching. The program's sole purpose is to stir you to lust, whatever lust you happen to be tantalized by. Your flesh wants to watch it, but with the jolt, the Holy Spirit reminds you, wait a second, who am I? Is watching this compatible with who I really am? I don't care if the old flesh bombards my brain with angry signals. That is not who I am, and I'm free to turn the channel. I'm free to turn the channel. You see, that's the idea here, is the number one way that we have victory over patterns of sin is through our identity, understanding my identity. Stop falling to identity theft. Love David Neiman also says in that book, he says, we have to stop acting like mere men or women. Stop acting like mere men or women. What do we learn already? We learned that it's a, a new life in Christ. It's not the old me. Remember that part? He died. He died. So now it's, it's the new me. It's the new me. We're dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. A lot of us get the dead part down, but then the life in Christ is the part we miss out on. We're invited to enjoy what has already been attained. Verse 12, Therefore, in other words, because of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Act like who you are and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Powerful section there and a great reminder for us. I like this quote. I'm not sure who said it first. Sin is the result of forgetting what happened when you're saved. Sin is the result of forgetting what happened when you're saved. We must learn to think straight and act on what we know is true. What does it say in the text? It says, therefore, because of this, since I'm dead to sin and alive to God, I should live like it. Well, how? Well, it tells us. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it rain. What does it say? It says, don't obey it. Don't obey it. Don't listen to it anymore. And we're, we all grew up in, in a school system that said we're never allowed to talk back when you're given instruction. Well, here in Scripture, you're actually granted permission to, for that. You're granted permission to, to debate, to fight back, to argue, to put up some degree of struggle. A lot of us, if we're honest, there is no struggle. But here... You don't have to obey it. You're invited to enjoy what you have already attained. It says right, right there, do not offer part of your, yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Act like who you are. You're somebody that's brought from death to life. Enjoy what you have already 
attained. Enjoy what you have already attained. I've talked before here about being a, a big fan of cars. And so it's a, it's a weakness. I really like cars, always have since I was little. My, my dad didn't. It was weird that I do. But one of the things that drives me crazy is when you see somebody with a really awesome car that they never drive. They never drive. You're like, what in the world? I was watching this, this show, and it was about this story about this guy that bought a Lamborghini. The ultimate, like, car, ultimate driving machine, not Porsche, the ultimate driving machine, and he hung it on his wall. Like, is, is that insanity to anybody else? Like, like, what in the world, this crazy guy, you're like, you own a Lamborghini. Now, uh, now it is a Countach, but it's still awesome, but it's still an awesome reality, and I was thinking about that as it relates to us. It's like, you've attained it. You've saved up, you've earned it, you've put in the dues, the work hours, whatever it takes to acquire a Lamborghini, and it's a lot, actually about a quarter million dollars. But, uh, but, but the idea here is you've done, you have it, like why wouldn't you enjoy it? You have it, why wouldn't you enjoy it? The same is true for us. We've attained it, we've attained victory. Why wouldn't we enjoy the life that's come from it? Why wouldn't we enjoy it? Does it make sense? It moves to some other aspects here of what's actually at stake. In fact, we were talking about this in our, our life group. I think it's an interesting question that I don't know if we've ever asked ourselves before. What is at stake when I sin? Ever thought about that before? What is actually at stake when I sin? What's at stake? You see, the, the, the reality is, the reality is that it's not quite as much maybe as some of us give it credit for. There's some confusion. It's not our identity. It's not our inheritance. It's not our eternity. It's not, a, it's not a bait and switch. Yes, you're forgiven for this, but if you mess up again, then you're going to hell. Like, no, no. a lot of us buy into this reality and are confused about what's at stake when we sin. When you take the eternal consequences off the table, it's a degree refreshing because all of a sudden you're not on a tightrope that's 100 miles up like a lot of us live. You're on a tightrope that's a few, maybe more like a few feet off. That, that, that reality, let that reality sink in because then you can get busy about the business of enjoying what God has done, enjoying the relationship that God has put in place. But we do see some things that are at stake here. First, I talked about it at the beginning that there's the, the, the earthly consequences to our sin. That's definitely at stake. There's lack of of a fullness of life but here we see something else that's at stake when we sin what's at stake what do you see in the text there see two things kind of on on the line what's at stake is our impact on the world around us what's at stake is our impact what does he point to he says you can either be an instrument of wickedness or an instrument of righteousness Neither one, one or the other. You, you've, got a, you've got a choice there of what you're going to be, an instrument of wickedness. I was looking it up, the word instrument. It's kind of fun. The Greek word is translated as the word hoopla. I don't know how, how that, that's, say it to your neighbor right now. That's kind of fun. Hoopla. Like that's, you just learned a Greek word. That's a, that's a good one. So hoopla is the, the word instrument, but it actually means the word, is the same word as the word weapon. Same word used for weapon. 
interesting to think of hoopla. Like uh, my dad would always say, "What's all the hoopla?" And uh, but but that's actually talking about what what uh, about a weapon. But thinking of yourself and the mark you're going to leave on the world around you, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a weapon of righteousness or a weapon? of wickedness. You're like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Sign me up for the, the righteous piece like that. Wickedness, I don't like that. I know that's a bad word in church, but, uh, but, but in all honesty, in our, heart of, in our heart of hearts, none of us want that life. None of us want to be that. We don't want to be remembered as that. We don't, and, and, but here's another piece where it's important for us to think and remember that we're to enjoy what has already been attained. You see, in the same way a person apart from Christ can't help do anything but sin, a person in Christ, literally in Christ, living in Christ, can't help but doing good. That's what's already been attained. He's, if, if the old self is dead, the one that used to do all the stuff, that, and the new, the new life is in Christ, what does Christ say? He, he designed us. We're going to see in the next section. He's actually created us the new me, for works of righteousness. So again, this comes back to living within your identity, living within it, who you actually are. It's, 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 a, it's a powerful thing. It's a reality that we're invited to actually enjoy the new me, to actually enjoy doing good, enjoy, enjoy living out our new identity. I was talking to someone this week, and they were telling me about an experience they had in uh, while visiting Chicago, of all cities, a couple weeks ago. And they were uh, downtown Chicago, and they were walking around in kind of a cooler night. Uh, but they came into this really beautiful, by this beautiful cathedral, and they walked through the gate and its entrance. And right in when they came, they were startled by a, a couple homeless men that were standing there like, whoa. Well, as they were there, they, they started just having a conversation, and uh, husband and wife just with one of the homeless guys at least, and started talking to him, and he was sharing with them, them about his situation and how, kind of how he landed there, and it was a real extended conversation that they, that they had. And uh, in that, they started just sharing with them a little bit about Jesus Christ and the, the hope that they could have in and through him if he had transformed their life. It was the, like, like we said this er, earlier today, the one hope for all of us, the one, the one thing that could rescue us. And in that conversation, this guy's eyes are, are lighting up and he's just like, man, I want that. I want that. They actually got to, to sit and actually pray with him to accept Christ. This homeless man in, in Chicago, seeing his eternity redirected. Maybe not everything solved in his life right then, I'm guessing, but his eternity redirected. It was interesting to hear him talking about the situation. He's like, man, we didn't, we didn't go out looking to be in conversations. We didn't, we didn't try to. We weren't even thinking about that. wasn't even on our radar. But you see, when we start to live in our identity, it just is who we are. When you're engaging with somebody, you're talking, oh, you, you see, you've got all this crisis in your life? Well, I have the solution for that. His, his, his name is Jesus Christ. Like, you see, when you start to live in who God's designed you to be, it's a beautiful thing to enjoy. That's why it's saying, live and enjoy what's already been done. You're a new creation. Why would you go back to the old? I think it's interesting. That's the description that it gives of life that's not under the law, but under grace. You think about that. Think about life not under the, 
the law, that we get to enjoy, that we get to draw from this full account. And then you start to come to this conclusion that maybe you saw the title of my sermon this morning. It's called a, what is it called? I forget. <laughs> free to choose, right? Free to choose. It's a pretty powerful uh, title. Uh, free, free to choose. You start, start thinking to yourself, you start thinking, well, is he talking about free to, free to choose not to sin? Maybe, like, that, that, that's part of it for sure. Like, we, we're free to choose. That's good news. We all of a sudden have, have a choice. But, but really, think about how that plays itself out. Does that mean we just sit in the corner, like, tomorrow, we're like, tomorrow's the day I'm not going to sit. I'm going to sit in the corner, and I'm going to try. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going to try, because people really bug me. I, tomorrow's going to be the day that I'm, not, I'm free to choose, and I'm going to choose not to sin. That's going to be the day. That's going to be the day. Or, my question for us, or is it the choice to live in your new identity? Is that what the choice is? That's what I would propose that he's presenting. He's not presenting this choice to like, oh, just try harder. It's like, no, just live in what I've created you to be. I've already made you. Uh, you, you died with me. You died with me. The old was put to death. Now, I, I was resurrected. I think people are confused about the fact that too many crosses around like we're following a, a dead Savior. Like, no, live with me. Live, live with me. We need to empty tomb necklaces, I think, to remind us the, the, the fact that, man, it's a risen Lord and it's not just victory in the sense of dying. It's also a life of living in our new identity. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this truth outlined in your word and the freedom that that brings. The freedom to actually live in our new identity. No longer going back and, and, and living in the old house with the crazy landlord. Free to come out of the, the, out of the coffin. God, I just pray that we'd make the choice to live and enjoy this new identity in Christ. You've done the work. There's, there's, not the, there, there's not the life and death at stake here. You've done the work. You've solved that. Now we just get to enjoy what's already happened. God, we thank you so much for your work on the cross that provides for this. We recognize fully that we can't do this in, in and of ourselves. Part of that union with you wasn't just life and death. It's, it's also the fact that you came and set up camp to empower us to be our source of strength in all of this. Thank you that you've made every provision for us to live in victory. Pray we'd enjoy that even this week and choose life. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Just as you're walking out, I just want to read this passage in Deuteronomy as a blessing over us. It really points out it's always been a choice. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Amen. Have a wonderful week living in that.